Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. Welcome, everybody, to the BuildCast. I'm Robbie Schwarz, your host, and today I'm very excited to have Corbett Lunsford uh, join us today. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Corbett. I uh, hope you're doing well. And, sure, yeah, uh, it's good to see you again. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to start uh, with, with a comment that you uh, made uh, before we started recording, which was that you are very happy to be part of a small organization. When I when I look at kind of your CV, um, it seems like you're part of not only one uh, small organization, but you're part of uh, many things that are going on. Uh, I see that you're doing the uh, home diagnostics uh, TV show. Uh, you have this uh, fall fast track home performance mastermind course that you're running. Uh, you're doing building performance workshops. Uh, you created your tiny house lab which i think you might be in right I'm now in right now yes uh you're building a house as, and i don't know where that is so how, how do all these things uh come together in your mind as a small organization uh well i think that so when i people ask me for like career advice sometimes because i have you know i'm a trainer and so like you and so uh the first thing i'll say them is there's no recipe because anybody who says that there's a recipe is totally insane. That just can't work right now. But also, we're at a place where a very small organization, and when I say small, I mean me and my wife, who has been pregnant or nursing nonstop for the last five years, basically straight. So she's a, she's limitedly capable on time uh, and also physically. So my parents are my crew when I'm building the house or building this tiny house, which we're done. My, my, they're actually over there right now working on some trim stuff for me because I got to like, as soon as I'm done with this uh, conversation, I'm going to like change into my work clothes and get back into like trim stuff because we're coming yeah. up on the last day of shooting. But everybody works for, if, if I need to bring people in, they work for me as a subcontractor now. And, and it's just basically me and Grace. Uh, and the reason that I do so many different things is because none of them works fantastically well. So I have a book that I uh, publish and I actually like order 15 of them at a time. And when you order a book from my website, I am the one who puts it into a little thing and I seal the thing and I put you, I write your address and then I put it in the mail myself because uh, being small means that everything lives in here. Like my central server is my brain. So if it's not in there, it's not part of my company. And I really find that much more satisfying i there was a point where we went through like 15 employees in five years and we had you know a staff of six at a time and with often we had four offices we were renting and all this blah 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 and i never carried inventory which would have been another headache but i yeah. think that all that stuff just we were kind of like fifty thousand dollars in debt nonstop. we weren't getting deeper in debt but it was just like we were making payroll and feeling okay we were paying ourselves but it was just like this is not fun so i quit and I yeah. was like, I'm, I'm just going to stop. We got rid of our offices. We got our employees hired by other people. And then I just started making up numbers just to get people to leave me alone. Instead of saying, no, I'm not working anymore. I would just say, yeah, I'll do it. $2,000 or $5,000. And they, and people were like, oh, well, 
we clearly have to hire you now. And I would try to like, talk myself out of jobs and be like look i just really don't think that i'm the guy for you and they would be like oh my gosh please please we we need you so badly so i just yeah. found out that like oh i can actually make money doing this and not feel miserable all the time yeah. i think a lot of us get stuck in this kind of like 200 were... service uh category mm -hmm. for some reason go ahead yeah. i'm sorry that was when you were doing home performance work i still do that yes so so right now what i do is i do testing uh, mostly for more either very local in my neighborhood or um, kind of well-to-do new construction or additions or renovations. But, but I do do home performance analysis. I just don't like boring jobs where it's like, yeah, you need air sealing in your attic and you need your crawl space encapsulated and you need your duct sealed. Like that's really, anybody can do that. So I'd like to, I'd rather train people to do that. I do consulting on video, which honestly is some of the most exciting work I've done in my entire career lately. I'm, I'm stoked about that. Uh, we make the TV show, which means that I'm scripting. I, I edit the show myself uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I'm right here at this computer doing that. Yeah. Um, and then producing that, we hire a team of eight who come in and work for us to, it costs $10,000 a day for our production team. That's like some serious money where we shoot three days at a time. That's like a car. So anyway, and then uh, sending the book, running trainings, building online trainings, um, trying to do outreach and, you know, just general kind of things like this where it's like, just, let's just get the message out there. Because I think that if we can convince normal people, then the people who are probably, more, you know, uh, audience members of this podcast will benefit because they'll, they'll have people asking them for higher performance, which I think is the whole goal. We get, it's clear that we cannot uh, require it by code because the, if the code officials don't enforce it, it's not a thing. It doesn't matter. So, you know, if it's rebates or whatever, it just seems, seems like all the carrots and sticks we've used so far just don't work very well. So I'm just more interested in people to people kind of thing. Yeah. So is, is your organization all under one name? And what is your business name now? Yeah, so Building Performance Workshop is the is the everything. And then everything is kind of a subset of that. I used to run, you'll get people who are suggesting that you should have like landing pages. And yeah. I used to have 40 landing pages. I would have like chicagohomeperformance.com, chicagoenergyaudits.com, homeperformancebook.com, blah, 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 all this stuff. Homeperformance.training when all these new, you know, and you can go crazy. Like honestly, for anybody who's thinking like, oh, I should rename my website or rename my business. Think about the Beatles. <laughs> terrible name when you actually think about it, that's a, that's a that's a crappy name but it doesn't matter what your name is it doesn't matter what your website is just like nobody uses 800 numbers anymore just like you got to be out there you got to be a person who people know and oh, i know robbie is the one that i should reach out to i can't remember his company name but i know his name i google him you are online somewhere they find you so yeah. i think that you know ultimately how you brand and how you set up your websites and your your entities and all that stuff my wife and i file like four irs uh returns which is kind of insane she's she's an actress as well so she has like an ink uh under her name so anyway all that to say we try to keep it simple in theory but in reality i do a whole bunch of different things which is why i never recommend that people do just diagnostics because like i don't do that i have all these yeah. different things that kind of like each give me a little bit as soon as one of them hits it big and i become a millionaire i'm gonna quit all the other stuff because i want to be a good dad I want to um, talk a little bit about uh, your background because I think, um, like me, you're you're not an engineer, you're not a building scientist. I mean, you you didn't go to school for building science, uh, you know, formal school. 
um, and you have uh, quite an interesting background. What um, I believe that you were an actor, and uh, that's what you you went to school for um, acting, or or actually music. Uh, music. My wife okay. is an actress. Yes. So okay. my wife is trained as an actress and as a screen producer. So she's the reason that the TV show exists is not me because you you could probably host the show too. It's like we haven't had a woman who can actually like assemble a team of television people to put this whole thing together. So uh, so my background is music. I studied uh, piano and drums until I was 18 and I only applied to one school. So I went to Berkeley College of Music. And I got a small scholarship there, but like, honestly, they let me choose my own major, which I think is a terrible idea. It's, it was called professional yeah. music. So it means like you can dabble in all these different things. So I graduated being a jack of all trades kind of thing. And like, yeah. it just wasn't, it, anyway, it doesn't matter because my college degree has not mattered at all. The fact that I have one is nice, but honestly, it's like, I just don't, you know, people who played music for four years instead of going to school would probably be better than I was or people who went to a community college. So I don't think that college is that important, but I did go, played music, improvised for dance companies. So I would hang out with like college girls and leotards all day and make up music, which yeah. sounds like a dream job. After seven years, anything gets boring. My dad told me when I was in college, I was like, I don't know if I'm enjoying this anymore. He was like, listen, ride a roller coaster eight hours a day for three months. Is that fun anymore? No, it's your job. Like nothing is fun after enough time. So anyway, I decided to quit. I got a pretty clear message from the universe that um, my thoughts were not very important. My opinion and my like expertise as a person were not very valued. Like for example, I used to play music for you know dance classes for these visiting choreographers who'd come from other countries and they were like fun and interesting. But one guy at one point, to tell me to stop playing at the end of an exercise went like this. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. I get that. That's a good one. So um, it was people like, uh, who can't see what you did, you're, you're basically, he was asking you to turn the volume down. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. He would turn the volume on his stereo system all the way down. Yeah. In a nice, smooth motion, um, which uh, was just for somebody who plays music like you never want to think of yourself as background music or as a cd player so that was like you know it was that kind of thing i get it again and i just like like all right i'm gonna quit so i i i had like a last gig on the calendar which was a pretty good one in, in north carolina i went to this camp and you know it was three weeks and then um after that i had nothing on my calendar it was literally just blank and so i waited for the universe to tell me what to do and um my my wife's brother-in-law called her and was like hey i have an idea for corbett's next career oh wait i have to go and that literally happened like three or four times where he was like oh you know what i've been having this idea i think that you should oh wait i'm sorry i'm getting another call i have to go and, I, and by the time he finally sat down to tell us i was like this is either going to be the dumbest idea i've ever heard because it's so built up or clearly this is what i'm supposed to do and he said i'm uh trying to improve our home you know all at once and I have no idea who to call because I could call the installation guy, you know, classic thing that you'd hear from any homeowner yeah. when they actually find out what we do. And I think that uh, I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. So I looked around, looked at websites, which I'm, you know, coming from where you do and other people looking around with the old guard that was, you know, in back in 2008 when I started, they, they did not have great websites. They did not answer their phones. They did not return phone calls. And I was like, this is easy. Like I could, I could be better than all these guys in, you know, two weeks. So I went and I got my HERS Raider certification. 
my trainer on the third day told me, you ask too many questions. I need you to shut up and just do what I say and then you'll pass the exam. And I was like, when I'm a trainer, I know who I'm not gonna be. So, yeah. uh, you know, I often, like many of us, asked older dudes, old dogs, like, what's the secret to blah, blah, blah. And sometimes they don't wanna tell you because it's like secret sauce. That's, and so I, again, was like, well, when I'm in charge, I'm gonna make sure that there are no secrets. Like I will tell you literally anything you wanna know. Yeah. Um, because it's like, why? There's no, I literally in my mastermind course tell people exactly how I do my work and they still will continue to hire me after that because people are just not gonna do it. You know, the difference, it's like, a, there's a quote, uh, there is no traffic beyond the extra mile, right? You go the extra mile, you're all by yourself, that's it. And so that's the kind of thing that I've just tried to carry through everything that we do, which is why we have the YouTube channel, which is why we have our, uh, my podcast is called the Building to Learn Podcast, where I interview people like this. Um, and that was how I learned a lot of what I know, that the secret sauce is like, I put it as a podcast. And then it's like, you're telling my audience, but really, I want to know all the answers <laughs> to these questions. Yeah. So that's kind of just how I, it was a guerrilla style of learning. And I was terrible for a long time. I look at some of the reports that I gave people back in 2009. And I'm just like, why was I, because I didn't know what a joist was. I didn't know how walls were put together. And now that I built this house, which uh, for those of you who are not aware, a tiny house on wheels is a house on crack because you have to have it withstand um, a hurricane, 55 mile an hour winds and an earthquake which is what happens when you roll a house down the road at 55 miles an hour at the same time on a regular basis. So this house is still as airtight as it was when it was built. And it's been through 13,000 miles of, uh, you know, over a thousand hours of hurricane and earthquake simultaneously. Yeah. And then we built a big house and that's a total, you know, this is easy compared to a bit, an actual house. And so I'm an idiot. I always tell everybody like at the beginning of my classes, raise your hand, be after me. Sometimes I'm an idiot. There are no dumb questions. For, don't forget, you don't know everything. And so uh, if I can build a house like the one that we just finished or this one, literally any builder could do a better job because I'm just not a good builder. I'm, I'm very detail-oriented. I'm a terrible manager, all this stuff. So, but, but I like to do the things so that then when I ask somebody to do the things for me or for one of my clients, I know what, how much of a pain in the butt it is. Yeah. And you learn so much by doing that uh, you're able to be a better trainer, I'm sure, as well. 100%. In fact, I think, I mean, a lot of the videos that I've been doing lately are just like talking about concepts. And I, for some reason, they're hitting differently than when I used to talk about concepts. I think probably I'm like talking about more reasonable and uh, applicable things now. I'm less niche -y. but um, yeah. But I think that, that the perspective of having actually built a high-performance home and lived in it, which a lot of us don't actually fix our own homes. We're working on our client stuff, right? I lived in a condo that was terribly leaky, like you know, 20 air changes per hour or something like that when I was there. Um, but but now that I've got this thing, I understand how, that like an ERV, for example, in my opinion, is always superior to an HRV. HRV just is an inferior product because I have experience. I've, I've lived with it for five years now and I understand the difference because I've used both cores. And so like having that, you know, feeling it, and living in an airtight home that's right next to the busiest airport in the world, and I never hear airplanes in there. Like those are the things that make you a better salesperson and a better trainer because like, I know in my core, I'm like, you know, it's like John Tooley, everybody calls the preacher. And it's like, yeah. to get the religion inside of you, it's not just like, oh, I'm spouting the things that I was taught in class. You, you should live it because it makes a real big difference. Yeah.
for sure, for sure. So really, it, it sounds like you had no uh, inkling of an interest in housing at all before uh, your brother-in-law uh, approached you with this idea. Yes, my I did not know how to use a nail gun. I did not, uh, I had never built, I mean, I built like a, some silly little things, but my dad is a kind of a perfectionist. So he never really like put tools in my hand and said, here, let's build this together because it would have been not as good as him doing it on his own. He's very helpful and he's a woodworker. Um, so that came in handy in the extreme in our house that we just finished, which by the way, you can see on our YouTube channel. But um, but no, I didn't know anything at all. I didn't know what a plenum was or anything like that. And And so I find it really interesting. You know, I used to think when I was a musician, we would do performance art. I was really into performance art for a time. So I, like our performances were kind of ridiculous. Our band name is Mysterium with an AM at the end, by the way, to give you an idea of like how into that, like, ooh, I wouldn't be strange. And so my idea at one point was to go into people's homes and build a performance in their home that would help them to see their home in a new way, like that they had never even thought about all these weird dynamics in their home before. And like, that's exactly what I do now. But I just don't do art like I'm doing actually something that they need instead. But I help people to see their home in a new way and to see the invisible around them. Like, it's kind of amazing how I've, uh, you know, just kind of transitioned from music. Oh, and by the way, music is building science because it's things, you know, harmony and melody are the two kind of elements of music that we're talking about mm -hmm. here. Harmony is relationships of things out of time. So the relationship of the water heater to the fireplace flue, for example. Um, and, and a kitchen exhaust hood that might have an effect on both of those if you turn it on. And then sequence and consequence is melody. One thing leads to another, leads to another, and then we end up with this horrible result at the end. So if you could just think about those two things at the same time, which mo most people can't. You're a musician, right? I am not. Unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you've, you've got the facial hair. You should be a drummer or a bass player. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, I, that's what... Uh, maybe a uh, guitar. <laughs> sure. Yeah, everybody wants to play guitar. It's like everybody wants to be a lead actor or a director. If you were like a, a great gaffer or an assistant director, that's that's where the sweet jobs are because you could work with the best people all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're sitting in this tiny house. Why, uh, tell me why you built the tiny house. We built the tiny house to prove that it can be done uh, by somebody who has never built anything before. Like I said, I, I had to learn to use a nail gun to build this house. I'd never done it before. Yeah. Um, and so, number one, that, that like if I could build a house that is point, what is it? It was passive house airtight. It's, you know, less than 5% uh, leakage, CFM per 100 square feet. Um, and we used energy modeling. We did manual J. I have a half ton heat pump over here, perfectly quiet. It runs all the time. You can't hear it. I this is a dehumidifier that you see right behind me because mini splits are not very good at dehumidifying. Um, and so when we built this, we toured it. We built what was called the Proof is Possible Tour. And Grace, because she has a background in this, knew how to crowdfund the thing. So we, we crowdfunded for 20 cities and we did a full week visit in 20 cities. And we went all over the country with the exception of the Northwest. We didn't go there, but we were in, uh, where were we? Centennial near okay. you. Yep. And so we would set up for a week. We'd do open houses every day because it's like, if you go around the country and you say, hey, normal people, do you want to learn about building science? The answer is no. If you say, do you want to tour my tiny house on wheels? The answer is, yeah, hell yeah. Like I'll wait in line for half an hour. We had people wait in line for an hour in the pouring rain 
before we turned them away. You can imagine how pissed off those people were. That was in DC area, uh, in one of the weirdest towns we've ever stopped in. But um, but yeah, like tiny house, people are crazy. And so what we would do is, you know, I'd station myself outside the tiny house. We toured 13,000 miles, 34 cities around the country. And I would be telling people, this is the best house, most scientifically superior house you have ever been in your entire life of any size, period. And I know because I have the data to prove it. No one can compete with me because if we want to argue about how good your house is, I would ask you for your metrics. Like we live in the information age. Tell me how, what your house is doing right now because I know everything about this house. And so then we, you know, we're trying to like teach them about building science. We bring them inside, give them a milkshake, which is towards the tiny house, but also we put broccoli in the milkshake by saying, listen, and people would see a train going by outside and they can't hear it. And they would go, wait, what, what? And then they would see two cats and they'd say, oh my gosh, I've been in here for 15 minutes, seven people at a time, by the way, because it's only 200 square feet. I've been in here for 15 minutes and I'm definitely allergic to cats. And I didn't even realize there were cats in here until just now. And I'm not dead. How is this happening? And it's like ventilation. How can I not smell the, the litter box in this house? Ventilation. You know, we're just elegantly twisting heat flow, airflow, and pressure, moisture, and air quality, the elements that I always think about when I'm in somebody's home. And all you have to do really is like start to play. And if you use fans and filters and uh, pressure imbalances and air tightness and insulation and heating and cooling in certain combinations, you can make a house do pretty much whatever you want. Um, which I think is amazing that we settle for the, you know, the fast and furious and cheap stuff that we, people are just so used to that. And yeah. it's our fault, clearly. We've been asking builders for that for decades and decades. And so they're like, that's all they want to give us because that's what they think that we want. So I think the conversation needs to change. And yeah. that's why we toured it. Yeah. And people, uh, as we say, that it's the largest uh, purchase people make with the least amount of knowledge about the product that they're buying. and. For some reason, uh, we just continue not to want to know that or, or gain that knowledge about the, that product. And right. And I think that that's really what, you know, people are like, what's your driving force? Is it sustainability? Is it like saving the planet? Is it uh, saving the environment? Is it saving the climate? Because those are two different things. Is it um, saving people money? And I honestly don't care about any of that. What really pisses me off is when you do something that is this time and labor intensive and you do it badly, that just pisses me off. It was like, if we're gonna do this thing, let's do it for real, not joke around about it. So it's like, I found my inner competitive athlete. I, I was never an athlete when I was a kid, but now I am fiercely competitive. I'm like, I will do this better than you. It'll yeah. take me two years and I will have to, it'll be me and my parents and it will not be pretty, but it will work better than what you guys are doing out there please can we all do this together like beat me somebody please and yeah. so that's kind of where where we're coming from so you don't feel like uh the tiny house is is aesthetically uh pleasing oh no here let me show you i is this going to be on video or is this just an audio podcast just the audio okay well you can see how beautiful this house is i'm married to someone who used to be a debutante She's a beautiful movie star. And so like, I don't want to get divorced. So yes, our homes are incredibly beautiful. Um, but that's her doing. She decides what all that stuff is. I decide what the like invisible, all the physics, chemistry, microbiology, that's my job. So like, if you can't see it, I probably did it. If you can, then she's totally responsible. So you can, anyway, you can tour our tiny house and the big house on our YouTube channel, which is called Home Performance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess what I was getting at is it sounds like um, 
the aesthetic side uh, might not obviously might not be as important uh, to you, but uh, from a uh, perspective of the average person out there, it seems to be the driver over the things behind the drywall. One hundred. How do you correlate that? Yeah, so that's kind of like, for example, why we make the television show that we do. The reason that no one has ever made a television show about building science. And when I say a show, I mean a series. So there have been one-offs in Dirty Jobs or Mike Holmes will you know, talk about building science, but of course he never sh demonstrates or shows it. He just talks about it. Um, no offense, Mike, but you know, you know who you are. Uh, I think that the reason that nobody has made that show before is because making a TV show is incredibly difficult. It's very onerous. It's very expensive. PBS, for example, which is where our show lives, doesn't give us any money ever. They will never give us money. I have to raise all the money to make our show before we even make it. Then we give them the show and they may show it. They always reserve the right to say, no, we don't like it. We're not showing this. This seems like a promotion. Uh, so it's very like, it's a little bit, it hurts your feelings a lot. I'll just tell you that. So anyway, the, but the TV is why people showed up to see our tiny house. They came because they have seen tiny houses on TV. And if building science is not on television, no one cares. It has been out there since the 70s. Blower doors are as old as I am. I am 42 years old. A blower door was invented the year I was born. Nobody knows what it is, right? We know this. Um, and so I think that the, the making what we do sexy and scary, just like a Victoria's Secret ad or, you know, Whatever it is, all the ads that the window people or the mold people are putting out there is incredibly important. It does have to look really good, which is why I spend a lot of time training my trainees to do stuff sexy. Sexy is my operative word. You know, you can call it pretty or well done or handsome or whatever, but it's like, eh, people get sexy. Let's just do it that way. So when I set up a blower door, I do it sexy. When I uh, use an infrared camera, when I explain, when I build a report for somebody, try to make it as sexy as possible always, because you're right, like people are gonna see the gloss first, and then if they're interested enough, they will read past the gloss into what the actual meat is. But just giving somebody, you know, like, like here's an example. You stand up in front of a room full of people who are in our space, many of whom think of themselves as in the energy efficiency industry or the energy industry or something weird like that. In my opinion, there is no such thing. It's the construction industry, we are the cream of the entire construction industry. And so I say, hey, do people care about metrics? And everybody will say, no, because they, they got their feelings hurt over giving people the energy savings again and again and again, and they just don't care. And, and then I ask, do people like sports? Because basically all sports is, aside from some, some nice things to watch on TV, is stats. The reason that uh, fantasy football is a thing is because of stats. You just sit around and you're talking about stats all day long. The reason people have fitness trackers is because they love metrics. People are in love with metrics. We have been giving them terrible metrics. We've been telling a terrible story about what the, the science of homes is really about. We make it all about energy savings because the Department of Energy funded a bunch of stuff and the weatherization program, blah, blah, blah. And thank you, Department of Energy, but no thanks. Like, please get out of the way now and let us tell the story so that we can get people actually interested in and in love with this stuff. And I think that that's, that's really, I think, where we're trying to go with it is, yes, it looks nice, and that is incredibly important, and that's the only way, in fact, to get the, the information across. So I 100% agree with you. Yeah. 
Do you feel that uh, our current current uh, climate situation is changing that dynamic a little bit? That people are becoming interested because of uh, extreme weather events or or other things that are that are happening externally? I um, I do believe in um, being a good person. Like this is a 200 square foot house. I lived my family of two adults, two kids and two cats in 200 square feet. So like clearly I'm an extremist and I believe in this stuff, but I would never ask my clients to believe. I don't care whether they believe in climate change even. I could give, you know, I, I don't care. If they let me do what I want to do to their house, they get what they want and I get what I want at the same time. So I think we should... I think that probably it's too abstract. There are those of us who care about it and are able to take like this high level of abstraction of what will happen to our kids. Like you can't even think about what's gonna happen next week. You know, tomorrow, I'm gonna have a tummy ache because I eat this whole pizza. I'm still gonna eat the pizza because I literally can't even plan for tomorrow. That's yeah. how monkey-brained we are. You know, we're just basically, that, that, that it was one of the, pod, the uh, podcast interviews that I did that I really appreciate this guy it was like, we have little monkey brains and we think that if something is good, more of it must be better. Um, and so moderation does not come naturally to us. Subtle, you know, systems thinking solutions do not come naturally. So I think that if we can make this conversation of what, you know, what I specialize in, what you specialize in, more about solving problems for people and literally there are no problems that cannot be solved by diagnostics, uh, and which is why I've made the absolute linchpin of my entire practice and my training and my you know, philosophy around diagnostics. If you are not testing, you are not doing high performance. You are not doing performance of any kind. You could say the word energy, you could say the word green, sustainability, whatever you want, but if you are not testing it, you have no idea what's going on. And so if, in my opinion, if we can get more people testing, whether it's for saving themselves from liability, saving themselves from callbacks, uh, saving themselves from just feeling bad that a family died because the carbon monoxide backdrafted from the garage into the house and killed children, whether or not you get sued about that, you're going to the grave with that one. Like you killed those kids, you know, like that's just something that will live with you. So I think that all those reasons and making sure that we actually solve problems the first time, moisture problems, comfort problems, humidity problems, uh, smells, all that stuff is like, if you test the house, you could fix it. You don't have to be saving energy at all. In fact, if you're talking about most of the clients I've been helping lately, it smells in the house or I'm sick because my house is doing weird things. All of the things I'm recommending to them, maybe with the exception of air sealing, are not energy, they are opposite of energy efficient fixes. Ventilation, not energy efficient. Dehumidification, not energy efficient. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Having an HVAC system, I was literally on the call yesterday with somebody who does not have an HVAC system in their house. Wow. And we will be installing a heat pump in their house. That is not energy efficient. Like we're gonna be using a whole bunch of energy that they weren't before. Yeah. But what you get out of it is like this better thing, which is my life as I want it. I do not go to the hospital on a regular basis. I do, you know, whatever it is that your problem is, diagnostics will fix it. A equals B, B equals C, right? Uh, a equals C. Diagnostics being the centerpiece means that if we get normal people for whatever reason using diagnostics, they are then going to start competing on performance and saying, well, I could, my guy fixed my problem better than your guy fixed your problem. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end. We turn housing into sports. Game <laughs> over. That's it. Yeah. 
Interesting. And you've really uh, taken a deep dive in uh, not only um, this, the concept of using diagnostics more and more and more, but how the how you actually do the diagnostics. It seems like uh, you're you're really. It seems like you're revolutionizing revolutionizing uh, the practice. Thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say, Robbie. Uh, I mean, I think that when you live with this stuff, and, and you you have a fair amount of diagnostic experience, I imagine. Are you still doing diagnostics today? Yeah, I yeah. still I mean, but it's I mean it's limited because it, it it's revolves a lot around uh, just just blower door testing. Uh -huh. and, exactly. and this is the thing. That's like this is what I think is so interesting because you're what you're describing is a. Um, a prescriptive approach, right? So it's like we've got BPI, we got HERS rating. They are very specific. It's like you do these things, you run this software, you get this result. If we can have every house have this blower door number, every house have this ventilation system, every house have this HERS rating, um, then the world is perfect. And I completely disagree with that. I think that I've spent enough time. Now I only work, by the way, so everybody's clear only in the private market. I do not work with rebate programs. I do not collaborate with utilities. I do not work, I'm not certified by anyone anymore. Um, I only work outside the box and it is fascinating out here. Uh, and that I think is the thing. If you could start like having clients who come to you and they're like, no one else has been able to solve my problem. For most of us who are HERS raters, and I know because I was there, you, you're like, uh oh, well, I'm probably not qualified to do this. Like if you use diagnostics and you're good at testing stuff and thinking just about the four elements, you know, the, if you study just the four, three, two, one way that I think about stuff, that is enough to catalog all of the science in your brain so that you could step in literally any situation. And like for, I'll give you an example. There's a guy, his name is Josh, super nice guy, very sophisticated diagnostician, had this job, house he'd been working on for over a year and they just couldn't get it right. And so we got on the phone and I spent three hours on a Zoom call with them directing more weird diagnostics. And the thing about it is that I happen to just think outside of, I'm not thinking about BPI, combustion, you know, worst case depressurization or like the way that you're supposed to run a blower door test. I'm thinking about like, okay, fans and movement and pressure imbalances and barriers and things like that. Um, and so you just start to play. It's like, having access to all this playground equipment and you're just like oh never seen that before i'm gonna hang upside down and everybody in the playground is like what i've never seen anybody do that and it's just because you're coming to it fresh so i think that the fresher we can make all of this get people who are hers raters outside the box don't just do hers rating please for the love of god number one it's a commodity now you are not legally allowed according to the ethics rules to be any better or worse than any other hers rater in the world right so how can we charge different amounts of money at that point um you know, like anything that's a commodity, blower order testing for new construction, gets it's pretty dry. You've done 200 of them, you've done them all basically at that point, right? So I think that, you know, if you can find more jobs that are like the scary ones, you start to realize that number one, they're not that hard. And number two, you feel this amazing amount of power. It's like you become Neo. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I can control anything in a house, which is, you know, of course, hubris is a thing that you should definitely think about. I always stay humble, which is why I keep telling myself I'm an idiot. Yeah, but I think that 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 playing, always try a new diagnostic on every job. Try a new diagnostic that you haven't tried before. You know, little things like that. Uh, even just being on a Zoom call, I learn things every day. Training does the same thing for you. If you become a trainer, you will learn more than your students because you are in that zone of like you've 
made it possible for your brain to to add things to the and by the way that's also what happens when you get rid of ideas you take you have an idea that's a secret and you blab it out to a bunch of people a new idea comes in to take its place and then like you just keep doing that and you get all these new and new and new fresh ideas so i think that the the whole process is like just don't be afraid like my cell phone number is on my website my home address is on my website I am not afraid of people like I, I'm screaming for people to listen to me, please. You know, I, I'm not like, oh, I need my privacy because it's just not going to work. Like, you got to get everybody on board with this. Somebody described it as taking a machete and hacking at the jungle. That's really what it is. We're not going to get like Good Morning America to care about what we do because it's not a thing. We're in a jungle. You know, as soon as it's like a, sub, a suburb, then they'll be like, oh, OK, great. You've got like five million followers. Yeah, we'll put you on our show. So. Yeah. Sorry to get up on a soapbox, but yeah, I, I no, care about this stuff. It's great. Um, at the beginning of your soapbox, uh, you you mentioned uh, four four three two one uh, principle. Can you um, riff on that for a second? Sure. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. So the four three two one is just the kind of way, like this house, the tiny lab that I'm talking to you from, and my big house, is the four three two one way of thinking put into a physical object. So four, there are four elements to the science of homes or home performance, whatever you want to call it. The one that everybody always starts with is heat bleed or heat flow or thermodynamics, if you want to be a nerd about it. Uh, everybody gets this. If you ask a normal person what they think they need, they need in their home to make it more high performance or more energy efficient or whatever, more comfortable, they'll say new windows, uh, a created HVAC system, or more insulation. Those three things are generally wrong. You probably, you know this too from energy modeling, um, but at least they're thinking about heat bleed. All those things have to do with containing heat or stopping heat from bleeding through the, the enclosure. The next thing on the list is airflow and pressure. Almost no one understands this, even in the HVAC field, which is where they're supposed to get it. Uh, you need techniques for testing, which I'm gonna be going into in a, a YouTube series pretty soon with Bill Spohn from Two Tech Tools. Um, and you need tools, clearly, but you can do it with like, you know, a plastic bag or some company, some fog from a theatrical fogger, great, like amazing tools. So they're two sides of the same coin, air, airflow and pressure. Uh, moisture, and by the way, that's very profound. And I get much more into the profoundness of the, the airflow and pressure being very linked uh, on our channel. Uh, moisture happens in air, happens on you know, rain, pollen uh, leaks, all that stuff. And then air quality, which basically boils down, air quality is a big container and it contains uh, particle, contaminants, chemical contaminants, and microbiological contaminants uh, in the air, and, and that land on surfaces that are touching the air. So those are the four elements. Then we have the three recommendations that we make on most homes, which is air sealing, number one, insulation, number two, and mechanical upgrades, number three, in that order, because they won't work unless you take them in that order. The two systems that we're always focusing on in homes, I literally do not think about anything that does not fit into these two systems is the enclosure, which is the air sealing insulation, and the engines, which is anything mechanical that moves heat around within the house or moves air. And then the one goal that we're trying to aim for with the science of homes or with home performance, when we analyze a home based on the four elements, make our three recommendations on our two systems, is not energy efficiency, is not sustainability, is not green, it is control or balance or tuning or whatever it is, you know, whatever word you like. Some people don't like the word control because it makes them think of communism. Uh, but 
but if you can control what your house is doing, then you could literally be a single German man who likes your house to be 63 degrees and 20% relative humidity because you live in the Alps and sell it to a single mom with twins who's from the South. And she likes it to be 80 degrees and 60% relative humidity. And you could make that one house do those two things for those people. And that I think is where it's really at. It's like you ask a typical man and woman, man and wife pair, what is the ideal temperature on the thermostat? And I bet you $10,000 that you can't find a single married couple in the world who would give you exactly the same answer, which means that the goal is also not comfort. And everybody's like, we're big on this. We're going to make your house more comfortable. Like you're not, you're going to make her more comfortable because she is more important. And then when she goes out of town, you can make the guy more more comfortable by allowing him to tune the house to where he wants it to be. And then Sunday night, he tunes it back real quick before she shows up. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's really how I think about homes in general. When I go into a home and I'm looking at something like a, like yesterday, we've got this client who's in uh, what you, you would think is the desert in Los Angeles, very dry, hardly ever rains, but they're also like two miles from the ocean. And the, the way that the wind currents work there is that, you know, this and this and this. So it might actually be incredibly humid in the air, even though it never rains. And they have a house that's got like cinder block walls, no insulation, no HVAC, high humidity, want their air to be better. And it's like, you think about this thing and it becomes very complex in your, in your mind, convoluted, unless you break it down into, okay, how is heat flowing? How is airflow and pressure working? How is moisture working? And how are the contaminants being generated and taken care of? And once you actually like break it down in your mind, of course, in reality, it's one big thing. But in, if you can think about it in a more succinct way, then it, it makes you a more powerful solution, uh, you know, problem solver for people. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I often talk about uh, that control and predictability. Mm -hmm. and yeah, predict, predict and prevent. That's all we're doing, really. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's very cool uh, way to, to think about it. Um, so you've taken these these uh, ideas and practices and implemented it in the tiny house. Uh, tell me about the the bigger project uh, next door, the the big house. Sure, the big house is uh, three thousand square feet, but it's split. We I wanted to be able to demonstrate. Number one, I'm a musician. My wife is a dancer. We have two little girls, and now we have a little boy. And nice I want life. our kids. Thank you very much. Uh, and so I I want our kids to be creative and I want them to have a space to do it. So instead of having a man cave where I've got like a, you know, DVD player and I don't know what, like a couch and my golf clubs or something, I don't play golf. Uh, we've got this 800 square foot studio that is a multi-purpose space. It's now also my training center. So it's got like, you know, 16 foot ceilings at one end and 10 foot ceilings at another end. And it's 24 by 36. It's just a giant space with these beautiful uh, lighting fixtures in it and these ceiling fans that circulate the air. It has its own dedicated uh, heating and cooling system. It has its own dedicated ventilation system. It has its own HEPA filtration loop. It ha it's insulated and air sealed away from the house, even to the point where it has a separate crawl space from the house. And my crawl space is basically a mini basement. So we wanted to be able to, to prove that you can build a high performance home, number one, without something like zoning, uh, without uh, making the ductwork suffer. I, my crawl space is four feet tall to the bottom of the joists, which is comfortable enough to get around and, and work on stuff. And all of my ductwork can very easily fit down there. If we did that for every HVAC guy in the world, just was like, here, here's a four foot crawl space, 
have at it, do whatever you want, do what you need to do. It's like, that would solve literally, I, I swear, 75% of the problems that we have in homes. Yeah. And you must uh, have followed uh, John Tooley's advice uh, with regards to crawl space construction. Yes. And actually, there's a guy named Harry Booty, who I was talking with Keith Aldridge about this. And he actually, in the 70s, this guy, who's not an engineer, just took it on himself to study this stuff. And Advanced Energy actually took this guy's data and were like, wow, we're going to take this and run with it and publish stuff off of it. So Harry Booty is his name. Um, B-O-O-D-Y. Uh, interesting name. So anyway, he, I met him and he's, he's very interesting. He has some, some interesting ideas about HVAC, which I don't agree with all of, uh, but, but yes, crawl spaces should be inside. So mine is insulated on the exterior. It's insulated under the slab. It's very comfortable down there. It's dry. It's exactly the same temperature and humidity as the rest of the house. I'm doing things like testing the dust in my crawl space and testing the dust in my parents' crawl space, which is like an old house. That's not, it's like a normal house. And we'll send those to a lab and get them tested alongside each other. I think that that kind of stuff is really interesting. But um, so yes, the crawl space, everything is insulated to what the energy model says is useful. I, people are like, why didn't you do our 100 walls or whatever it is that people are so obsessed with, with Passive House now? And I'm like, because I don't care about, I mean, like the point of diminishing returns is very clear. You do an energy model and you know what you're doing. You hit our, you know, like there was a house that I was modeling yesterday for a, a heat load calculation. R38's uh, roof and R15 walls, both of which were upgrades on this production house, and that 40% of the load was from the ductwork being in the attic. So if you if you just fix that problem, you literally cut your air conditioner size in half, which just blows me away. So things like that, where it's like insulate and air seal to the, I air sealed just as a competitive measure, way past what, um, you're supposed to. And I do not recommend that people, by the way, if you're listening to some of my voice, please don't build tighter than like two and a half air changes per hour or else. And if you want to see the or else, go to my channel and you'll see all the weird things that we have to do. But pressure imbalances become really dangerous at that point. So we're at 0.4 air changes per hour. We did something that I've never even heard of before. And we're putting it on the TV show where we, um, I pulled an inch of water column on the house depressurization with the blower door. That's 250 pascals. That's five blower doors at the same time with one blower door because my test is 300 at 50. So anyway, and then at that point, I had this uh, building scientist that I know named Landis Bennett spray the outside of the house with a pressure washer to try and simulate extreme uh, weather and see if we could pull water up around the windows or through any gaps and cracks through nail heads that people are like, oh, the nail, the overdriven nails in the, the WRB sheathing are such a big deal. And like, we proved it because we did this test and it was just, it was incredible to have those kinds of metrics on a home that you're building with your parents and you've never built a house before. So I like, if I did not do those tests, this, this is the important thing. If you don't do the tests, you will all forever ask yourself, is this house good or is, are there things festering in the walls? And like, I know for a fact what my house is doing and it just makes me sleep so much better. Having no fires in my house also makes me much happier what if i could get rid of water then i would be uh, a perfectly happy person but um yeah you know yeah. I, have, I have a leak detection so that helps to be to be clear um the water test you did uh proved that water was not going through nail heads or around windows or any other penetration uh partially because your weather resistant barrier was done so well but also partially because 
uh, your air tightness, I imagine, is is so good. Hundred percent. Yep. And and so that meant that we were then allowed. I uh, gave us the green light to go ahead and put the exterior insulation on, put on the rain screen, put on the cladding, and the roof, obviously, because like. If I know that that this layer that's is perfect, then we just add layers to the outside and not worry that like, oh, I hid something. And that's the big thing is that people don't understand that a basement that's got drywall in it, a finished basement, is a nightmare to you and me because we know there's stuff going on down there. And it just means it's all hidden now by the stupid drywall that's all painted and nice. And now I'm gonna have to like cut it open to find out. So naked stuff is our friend test it while it's naked and then you can be like oh great now we can finish it out and look, make it look nice make it add the sex appeal yeah um, and not be hiding scientific uh problems yeah so you're um using you have used your big house and the construction of the big house uh in your video series and in your uh training uh, uh correct Yes, and the the TV show is the big thing. Like when you're making a show that's going to cost, you know. So I've got like on the first episode, first season, which was only six episodes, we shot that while we were touring around the country on the Proof Is Possible tour. We bought a six thousand dollar camera and like we run it ourselves. We've got audio equipment and all this stuff. It was not very much fun to shoot, like to produce a TV show by yourself. Um, and so that's why we have the team now. But uh, to make a show where you're going to need to assemble around twenty uh sponsors and i do the fundraising myself now because i'm I, I know how to talk about it and i know what the pressure points and the leverage is and all that stuff i need to raise several hundred thousand dollars to make a season television show so we need to have like a pretty exciting something and so this second season that's coming out is follows the the build of our house and kind of i'm actually looking at the the layout of the, the episodes right now we, we go through the entire course of building science. I tried to basically break down the science of homes into 13 equal parts that are half an hour long. So we talk about uh, design, like form versus function. We talk about energy efficiency versus performance. And that's important for people to understand. We talk about destruction of water. We talk about the truth about home building, which how hard it is to do all this stuff right and why we should like give more money and more time to the, the professionals. We talk about windows and doors. We talk about air sealing. We talk about insulation. We talk about uh, combustion, we talk about heating, cooling, home chem, we talk about the sun, not about solar. Like we have an entire episode about the sun and we talk about solar for literally 10 seconds just to say, we're not gonna talk about solar power, okay? Let's talk about other stuff. So we talk about, you know, like solar gain and window direction and low e-coding and um, chemistry and all that stuff. And then we do obviously the big reveal on our house when we're done, which is the one that we're about to shoot in just a couple weeks here. Uh, that'll be the reveal of all the tests that prove that this house is probably the best house in, I mean, like, you know, I could say that it's the best house in the entire world and no one can argue with me, unfortunately. We're getting to the place where people are testing more and more. You know, we've got like thermostats that are smarter and we've got uh, air quality monitors that are consumer grade that are actually like pretty good. Um, and people are starting to tune their homes a little bit better, a very small percentage. Somebody that I was talking to who's a scientist in HVAC the other day said that probably 5% of the homes in America have a ventilation system, as an example. And like, that's probably a pretty good starting point. If you, probably most of those 5% don't have not had a blower test, I would bet money. Um, but if you've got a ventilation system, then like that's, that's kind of like the key indicator, I think, that you're like, oh, you're on the right track. So anyway, that's what the house is. It was kind of always designed to be a centerpiece. So this house was the centerpiece of season one. 
that house is the centerpiece of season two. You try to, when you don't have a lot of money to work with, you try to like make everything stretch. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm really interested in now is how do we make um, this this whole concept of high performance building and performance uh, more mainstream? And uh, it seems like uh, uh, through your show, that's that's a great avenue to be able to do that. To, Thank you. I hope that this will, yeah, I hope that it will get business for people who are listening to this podcast and are doing this kind of better work and are despairing maybe because like, oh, I don't have that many clients who want to pay me to actually do it right. I give, you know, the platinum package, the gold package and the silver package, and they go for the gold. Nobody goes for the platinum. Yeah. So hopefully we just up the, you know, set the bar higher. And like, frankly, I'll be straight up with you. This, this, one of the things you mentioned John Tooley earlier and the, advice that he gave me most recently is I told him what we were doing with the show. And I was like, I want to scare the crap out of people. And he was like, yes, hit the reptile brain. You get to aim for that reptile brain, get them to be like where they're not thinking anymore. They're feeling. And so that's the thing. If you tell somebody that they could save money on their energy bill, you know, they're not going to care. If you tell them that you could stop them from poisoning their children, then now you're listening. Like, I, you know, and, and people are like, don't be alarmist. I, I'm, let's be alarmist. I kind of feel like this is, it's a big enough deal. Like people are building garages that are the kind of garage where if a hybrid goes from electric mode where it was silent into turning on in the middle of the night, the whole family dies. No one wakes up. Yeah. It's not okay. We, we have to fix this problem. And it has to do with like, you know, there's just so many layers. Don't use web trusses. You know, like that's what, how are we going to stop doing that? Or like figure out a way to, air seal better well spray foam spray foam has its own issues and also i've seen it done a ton that's bad so like you know people keep asking for the silver bullet and i think that if we just get somehow get people more interested in systems thinking and like i i'm doubtful that that's actually possible after having been through this pandemic uh i think that we are programmed to be monkeys forever perhaps um but but yes, I think that if we can make it about normal people begging for this stuff, then all the lunch and learns with architects and builder seminars that are free, come, we'll feed you and we'll show you our new product and all that stuff. Like, who cares about that stuff? We have normal people being like, I will only hire a builder who will prove that they're not going to poison my children. 99% of builders are like, what? And those are like, okay, great. Thank you very much for your time. Next. And then you finally find the guy who's like, oh my God, thank you for asking for that because I, I try to get my clients interested in this and you're the first person who's actually asked me. Yeah. Great. But we have to, we have to get it out of just the custom market. Uh, somehow we need to figure out how or, to the- I agree with you, yes. Uh, or get production builders uh, in enough trouble. I'm helping a guy sue one of the three biggest builders in the entire country for millions of dollars and he is gonna win. And I know this because we've got diagnostic. They, they hired all these teams of forensic experts to come in and test the crap out of the house. And they had no idea what they tested. So we went through all the diagnostic reports and I was like, oh my God, like this is what they found in your house. Isn't that amazing? And they're not allowed to go back in there and do any more testing. They don't understand how the diagnostics work. If you like, it just blows me away. That's one of those moments where it's like four and a half hours of Zoom interviews. And then you finally are like, whoa, that is what we need. And it feels like an action movie. That's the, that's the chase scene. So, I, so if we can get enough production builders to sue the pants off 
so that this like we cannot do business like this anymore no offense production builders but we're you know like it's gonna it's gonna happen because homes are getting tighter and you have no idea what you're doing with the dynamics of the system then uh i think that people will start to both see the downside of production builds um and and prepare for moving in like I, I, I'm sorry that I keep cutting you off, but you're asking really interesting questions, Robbie. So forgive me. I have one more thing that I, that I just want to add to this. There's a guy who I'm consulting for who has, he signed a contract. This is a terrible story, but I love it so much. He signed a contract with a production builder locally, not a huge production builder, but one that like they do what they do and they're not going to, they, they already made all their decisions right in the beginning of the year. Signed a contract, went home thought well maybe i should and he found matt reisinger's channel and my channel and had been binge watching like and i was just like stop like you gotta stop doing it because there's there's four options for this guy now he can walk away from the twenty four thousand dollars that he gave to this company as a down payment because they are not the right builder for him where he is now so there's that he can just let them build the house that they're going to build and sell it immediately knowing that he's going to potentially be hurting some family that buys it because he knows too much. Um, he could ask them to do all of these high performance things that they're not going to want to do. And he's going to make them mad. He's going to have heartburn. He might have a heart attack. They're going to have a stroke. Uh, and it's not going to be that great in the end. And we all know this. And he'll have to be on site every day. Uh, or he could ask for some things that would build the house so that as soon as he gets the keys, we could take what is not a great house, but immediately retrofit it. As soon as it's bought, it goes through a whole nother thing where we take a car that's like a pretty good car. You know, you take a Kia and then you send it to the body shop. As soon as you get it, they put the hydraulics in, they put the cool muffler and the whatever, and they put the body paint on and all that stuff and the cool special interior things and the LED lighting. And that's basically what we're going to do with this guy's house. So it's being built with the assumption that as soon as it's taken uh, control of it is not fit to live in we have to then take it to the body shop and add some stuff to it and if you could build a house like that and we could get production builders to be like look just give me this and then i'll fix it when you just hand me the keys okay then at least they would feel bad about the fact that they're giving people non-livable houses which is that's okay because we can fix them um and we all know how once you start setting this stuff so i think that the, just the, those dynamics i think are really interesting when it comes to production builds yeah it, yeah, getting getting that that production builder to um, think about uh, first, stop thinking about first cost and about you know the whole project or the whole thing on an individual level, let alone you know a community level. It's it's going to be really difficult to do. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to take um, your whole day. This has been a great <laughs> uh, to to end things. Um, I was curious. Uh, what from your your history and kind of this this interesting path that you've taken to uh, the world of home performance do you think has has kind of most influenced what you're doing today and helping move the industry forward? Mm, I don't know that this is exactly what you're asking, but it, what it's what occurs to me right now. Perfect. Um, I got interested in Mike Rowe a couple of years ago, and like I the person that I want him to be and the person he actually is are probably very different people, but he does say some very interesting things about jobs. He says, do not follow your dreams. Everybody's like, follow your dreams, do what you love. Like, please do not listen to people like that. That is ridiculous. Do what is useful to the people around you. And I think that that's the big message that I took. I named our company Green Dream Group when we first started, which is like, 
it's very 2008 uh, and also it says nothing about what we actually do and it and it was just like after a few years i realized people were asking me to solve their problems not to help them be more green or dream about uh, more sustainable whatever and so i i and i was and listening enough and adaptable enough to change tack and be like okay great i'm not gonna try to give you a hers rating anymore if that's not what is going to help you if, if what's going to help you is to solve your specific problem that has to do with your indoor pool making things like if i was in a, my little bubble i'd say well you shouldn't have an indoor pool let's get rid of that it's like this is america like people can do whatever they want let's yeah. just make sure that when they do something they're doing it so that it's not going to poison their family and not going to result in the house being torn down so so i think that that listening to what people want from you is a big one and when we all start doing that the production builders will automatically then learn that it's not about first cost like when they're listening to their buyers they might think like oh you actually are interested in fresh air now that covid has been here like we haven't revisited this since 20 you know 2009 when we heard about ventilation and we thought oh we're going to do this it costs a thousand dollars absolutely not like our our buyers are not going to pay for that or if you're a hers rater and you get a bunch of people who are like hey can you help me fix my existing home and you keep saying no because i do hers ratings that's what i do and it's like please you know they need you Let, let's go where the, the people are that need things from us and and i think that that is what i really try to listen for and, and do every day i think that's that's really true but i do think that there is something to being passionate about what you do that helps you uh sustain through the the boredom of the 5,000th lowered our test. I agree. And I think that if you, if you look at somebody who has an arranged marriage, <laughs> you know, in India or in Asia, uh, they, they, I won't say often, I don't know very many uh, people from there, but I will say that like, you will find people who are deeply in love with their spouse and they did not choose them and they were not in love with them when they started. But if you're curious, if you're a curious person, you pay attention to detail and you're just like interested in stuff, you could literally sit down, you know, like I used to play music for a living and record albums and stuff. And now I come up with like lists of weird physics dynamics. And this I find as much or more interesting than music yeah. now. And and I think that it's just like, you know, you can get interested in stuff. And so I think I, I agree with you. It is important to have that passion and not you know, if you end up being bitter, that doesn't help anybody, least of all your well, clients. You've been able to like blend, blend the two. You're helping. Uh, people, uh, but sure. you're all and the performative aspect. You know, I for sure am a performer. Like clearly, um, I like that. But but I think that that um, the uh, substance of what we do for a living is probably a lot less important. I could shine shoes and probably has as good a time as I do now if I could just figure out a way to make it pay the amount that I need for my family and to like find techniques, you know, like, oh, if I do this, that's cool. But like, what if I go like, mm, like you've seen guys who flip pizzas, you know, and they're like Instagram stars, they make pizza. Like, that's not that interesting, but they found a way to make it super sexy and, and cool. And they keep like, it's a craft. So, yeah. you know, just yeah. turning it into a craft, whatever it is that you're doing, I think is, is genuinely fascinating. Well, that's great. That's uh, great advice. Thanks so much for your time. It was really wonderful to catch up with you and uh, hear about you, uh, what you're doing more. Uh, we'll put all those links to your uh, YouTube channel and, and your shows uh, in our show notes so that people can uh, go take a look at that. 
And uh, again, just to really enjoy the conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Robbie. I appreciated your questions, man. And good to reconnect with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of BuildCast, brought to you by BuildTank, Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you, for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of BuildCast. You can listen to BuildCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time, be safe and continue to think 0 to 360.